Welcome to episode 28 of Keeping It a Hundo, the first episode of 2019. Happy holidays. I'm your host, Maddie Hundo. Today's guest is Myron Roll. He's not your typical retired NFL player. His pedigree is second to none. At 32, he's already played in the NFL, completed med school, a Harvard residency, and is currently a neurosurgeon at Mass General Hospital in Boston. Not to mention he finished Florida State in three years and went on to become a Rhodes Scholar at Oxford. This decision didn't go without scrutiny though. This is something he was definitely criticized for and remembered for. He passed up a chance at going in the first round of the NFL draft to continue his education. After his year at Oxford, he was drafted by the Tennessee Titans. But keep in mind it was in the sixth round instead of the first. This is a guy who was the number one recruit coming out of high school as a safety. He was also a first-team freshman All-American at Florida State. Played a couple years in the NFL. In 2010, he was ranked the second smartest athlete in all of sports. I'm not really sure how you quantify that, but you get the point. He definitely has friends in high places as well, including former President Clinton, who he's gone on trips with to Africa to do humanitarian work, and current Trump cabinet member Ben Carson, who was instrumental in Myron's pursuit of becoming a neurosurgeon. And let's not forget friend of the podcast, EJ Manuel, who made this thing possible. Uh, He's a good friend of EJ's, and EJ's one of my closest friends, so... Big shout out to EJ for making this thing happen. I met with Dr. Roll a couple days before Christmas in a penthouse high above the Zakem Bridge in North Station. Amazing view. It was my second time meeting Myron. Uh, The first time we met, we ran into each other at a Celtics game. I had the pleasure of meeting his parents as well at the game. It just told me a little bit about his character that His parents were in town for his birthday, and he chose to spend his birthday with his parents at a Celtics game, so he gets extra credit for that. But the fact that he spent his birthday with his parents, who don't live in Boston, and that was important to him and important to them, that says a lot about him. From crossing routes to brain tumors, this Bahamian American has got it covered. He's as impressive as a man you'll ever meet. And I was really humbled by this opportunity. Before we get into it, I want to leave you with a couple quotes. Myron was once told by Jesse Jackson, if Dr. King were alive today, he'd be proud of you. And then there was the day in Washington, D.C., back when President Obama was inaugurated. Cornell West spotted Myron on the street and flagged him down. And he bowed to Myron. And he told him, You are the future of black America. This is my conversation with Dr. Myron Roll. I don't want to write this down. I want to tell you how I feel right now. I don't want to take no time to write this down. I want to tell you how I feel right now. Hey, tomorrow may never come for you or me.
You've been to some Celtics games? I have, yes. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the things you get to do in Boston. The, the sports a little bit. You've been to the Patriots, I saw. Yeah, on I went Instagram. to the Patriots game. That was great. Uh, went to the Celtics game. I went to a Red Sox game or two, I think. And uh, no Bruins yet, but... Yeah, yeah. I just saw they're playing right now when I was walking up here. Oh, they are? Yeah. Oh, okay. a, you know when the Bruins are in town. Those fans are nuts. That's true. That's true. Yeah. yeah. What I like about living around here is that, like, you can see the different types of fans, the different demographics of fans going to, the, you know, <laughs> like, when there's a Taylor Swift concert, there's all these young little girls. Yep. A, when there's a WWE thing going on, these big, like, guys with, like, belts on and stuff. Yeah. It's crazy. I like it though. We always knew. I used to work downtown when I lived in Boston, and we'd be. I'd take the train every day from here, mm-hmm. and we would be walking from work, and we'd be like, based on the the, the girls that we saw, yeah. we'd be like, uh, sell this game, Bruins game, <laughs> uh, you know, uh, rap concert. Yeah, like you yeah. can always tell what yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, let's just say our least favorite was when the Bruins were in town. Oh, of course, of course. Of course. <laughs> the girls in the Bruins jerseys. Yeah, were like, no. Oh man, I'll pass. So tell me how you met EJ. So EJ Manuel, I met him when he was in high school. And I uh, was a football player at Florida State University. We were recruiting him, top rated player out of Virginia Beach. And uh, we just were looking for a new quarterback to come in and kind of turn our program around. And I gravitated towards EJ because you know he's got a great family. Um, he's, uh, you know, his parents been married forever. He's got a great support system, he's smart. Uh, erudite, polished, well-spoken, sophisticated guy, but can have fun, um, obviously can ball. And so he looked at, up to me as almost like a big brother, and he even wanted to wear my, my number, number three, while I was playing defense. Uh, and so, you know, He told from, me he calls you three. You he, call each other three. Yeah, we do. We call each other three. That's my man. And, uh, you know, the cool thing about it, when he went home back to high school after his uh, official visits to Florida State, I gave him some of my gear, my Florida State gear with three on it. So he was basically uh, rocking it in Virginia and, you know, just part of the program even before he got on campus officially. So he's my man. I don't have a little brother. Um, I'm the baby of five. So he's the closest thing to it. I love him. And uh, he's, he's, you know, one of the best people I know in this world for sure. That gives us something in common because he's like he's like a little brother to me. Yeah. And uh, he comes to me for advice because I'm I'm old. I think that's why. <laughs> no other reason. You could probably give him much more sage advice than me. All right. So let's talk about Boston a little bit. You've been here for what? Are you, two years. Two years. Okay. Yeah. Harvard for a year. Yeah. Yeah. One of my best friends went to Harvard Med School. Okay. Kid I grew up with. Uh, he was at Mass General for a while. Yeah. So. When he was at Harvard Med School, he brought me and like a couple of our boys that we grew up with uh-huh. to the you know stay with him on campus or whatever. And you know, one of the guys with us is a high school dropout. Then there's me, who I was like between colleges, like thrown out of school, mm-hmm. trying to get my life together. And then another dude who's just you know probably living paycheck to paycheck like the other guy. And we're visiting our boy at Harvard, and we're just like, wow, you know, we grew up. 30 minutes from Harvard or whatever and we're just like this is crazy that he's here it was surreal it was like one of the weirdest experiences ever but that's my experiences at Harvard tell me a little bit about yours I think they're probably a little different a little different yeah a little different (laughs) well you know um I'm at Mass General uh, part of the Harvard program and uh doing neurosurgery as you know it's um it's been something that I've wanted to do for a long time I did not know I was going to end up at Harvard I always thought that my 
training for neurosurgery would be in the South uh, because my parents are in the South. I'm from the Bahamas. I played ball in the South. I had more social capital and cachet down there. But when I took my interview up here, uh, I fell in love with the program, the people here, um, the amount of resources and network you have at Harvard, the, the name brand of the Harvard. The gravitas. No question. When you say you went there. No, there. no question. It is. It's it's un, unmatchable. And um, also, I wanted to really get into the field of research while I was being a, um, a good clinician, right? So healing people in the operating room, but then also taking the work from there uh, and expanding it out to underserved, impoverished parts of the country and even the world. And maybe even going back home to the Bahamas and, you know, providing health care there. And I, I feel like, you know, training myself up and, and getting... Um, good experience here uh, will allow me to kind of take uh, the skills that I, that I get here at Harvard uh, to other parts of the country and world and, um, and provide good service. So that's, that was kind of the master plan behind it all, and I'm glad I did because I'm enjoying it. So you haven't got to enjoy too much of the city itself, though. A little bit of the sports. Yeah. You consider yourself a local sports fan? You know, I'm getting there. Uh, most of my nurses are trying to push the, the, the Patriots on me, but when the Titans, which is my former team, when yeah. they beat the Patriots recently, I had to let them know. You did enjoy uh, that. I I'm did sure. enjoy that thoroughly. Super Mario doing his thing. And, um, you know, uh, and so I, I enjoyed it. And they always try to remind me of last year when the Patriots won, but I tell them that Janet Jackson had a song, What Have You Done For Me Lately? <laughs> and so you always got to go on what happened most recently. My first crush, Janet Jackson. Oh, yeah, she's bad. She's, she's, she's a good you, one. Penny from Good Times. And uh, you, that was a little before. That's you. a little bit before me. What about Different Strokes, Charlene? Uh, also a little bit before me. Yeah, that you was know, I, just my, 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 my era is like Fresh Prince, like Neil yeah, Long, Tyra yeah. Banks, you know. So uh, first Hillary, crush, Neil uh, Long? Or? Uh, probably Hillary Banks, honestly. Yeah. Yeah, Hillary in that show, she was, yeah, she was tight. <laughs> she was tight. <laughs> it makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> you familiar with the, the stigma attached to Boston and racism? Mm. You're a black man in Boston. You're a black surgeon in Boston, which puts you in an even, you know, smaller minority. How do you feel as a black man in Boston? Do you see it? Do you experience it? Yeah. What's your experience been? Yes, uh, I do see it, and I experience it too. Uh, at my hospital, we are—I I like to call it a boutique hospital because we're we're like number one in the country, and we have people flying from all over the world, so we don't That's really true. see the local population too much, but. With how prestigious it is, it's hard to get in. And so most of the demographics of people we see are elite, um, have a lot of capital, and aren't coming from Roxbury or Dorchester or some of the local black neighborhoods. And so my, the patient population isn't, doesn't look like me. Um, nurses also don't look like me, and physicians certainly don't either, uh, which you know puts me in a little bit of a, a different category. Um, but you know, it's one that uh, I've been involved with my kind of my whole life. I, I went to a boarding school in New Jersey where I was one of maybe a few uh, black people in the school, uh, and I was aware of it then. My parents did a good job of making sure that I always just stayed focused on my goal and try to be a trendsetter for others who see me as a light and say I can follow Myron to this to this place because he's a black person kind of opening doors. And so I've always put that on my shoulders like, yeah, well, if they're not here, we're gonna break through and make it common that a black neurosurgeon can walk through these halls and be successful and do the things that others do because now it's it was done. Uh, and so that, that's been something. Um, out in the community, you know, I've, uh, 
I, I remember I was taking an Uber ride one time, and um, you know, one of the drivers, uh, I told her I was a neurosurgeon. He said, "You don't look like a neurosurgeon." <laughs> and, I, and, I, and I first I was like, "Well, she's probably thinking because I'm a little bigger. You know, I have a little muscle sure, to me." Sure. But then it wasn't that. And she was like, "Yeah, but you know, neurosurgeons, I'm just used to are just a little." I'm like, "Yeah." She wants to say white, right? That's white and old. And uh, and I said, "You know what? It's a, it's okay. I know." Um, a lot a- of, I bet age played about like ten percent of it, yeah. and race played like ninety. No question, no question <laughs> about it. But you know those kind of comments, I sort of just brushed off and said, "Well, I am one, and uh, I will be a great one, God spare life." Uh, once I finish all my training and I just continue to work hard with the great attendings we have here, so uh, it's okay, it's all right. We're making it through. And that leads me to the next question: Is how did the patients respond when? They say, Dr. Roll will be here to see you, and then you show up. Yeah. So it's interesting. I've only had about four or five patients who would mistake me for the food service guy or the custodian. Uh, I'm like, no, no, I'm actually the one who's going to come in and help take out your brain tumor. Uh, But they're like, oh, no, no, my food's done. I said, no, no, sir. Seriously, I am Dr. Roll. says, MD here. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, then they're like, oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then there's another group that... um, that recognize my face and say, oh, you play football. And so that kind of opens up another dialogue, which is great, which I think does break down the barrier between black and white or healer and um, and, and uh, pa- uh, patient. So um, Sports has always been good at that. No question. Sports kind of breaks it down, and, yeah. and I appreciate that. I use it. I use it a lot. You know, I used to shy away from being the jock. Yeah, because like, you don't want to be known for that. You want to be known for this. Exactly, exactly. But now I'm like, yes, if you like sports, we'll talk about it all day. Right. And, uh, and so it's a good thing. You mentioned uh, prep school. Mm-hmm. You went to the Hun, yep. Petty. Yep. I, I remember when I, I started out school in upstate New York, and we had a bunch of guys from Petty and guys from Hun. I just remember that and just being like, what are those schools? Like, these sound like these, like, rich, prestigious, you know. And I looked them up since, you know, I heard you went there. Yeah. Uh, was it the Hun is even more exclusive as far as um, being all white? Yes. I think Petty had, like, a little more... Diversity. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. yeah. Petty made a, um, a uh, significant um, initiative to attract and recruit um, minorities uh, to the school. They gave out a lot of money to Trenton and uh, Camden and other you know, low-income Philadelphia areas. Uh, so they'll get these um, people in. I think that helped, honestly. It helped the mixing pot of the white students who were privileged and sort of in a bubble for their whole life to be exposed to Absolutely. this hard Trenton girl who comes in who can ball but also smart. And you're like, wow, look at this. Hun, again, like you said, a little bit more exclusive, didn't get that same sort of initiative. Also a great school. Um, but you know, I, I think what kept me sane through it all was that my parents were just super diligent about reminding me that there's an end goal here. You know, you go through these times right now and you know that there's going to be a time where you can come back and promote change in something that you see now. Right now may not be the time, but if you continue to work hard, you gain everything you can from the school experience, whether it be in the classroom, outside the classroom, on the field, through the relationships you make, you come back and you change it one day. Uh, and I also had the injection of black whenever I go back home to the Bahamas. You know, Bahamas is 92% black. And so I go down, the prime minister's black, barber, the, the lawyers, the doctors, everyone there looks like me. And we're all family because it's a small country, so everyone knows everyone. And so that was my way of kind of staying grounded in who I was, my purpose, my identity. And then I'll come back up to Hunt and say, okay, all right, this is a little different, but it's okay. I think it works both ways where you actually get a lot out of it too. One of my good friends, uh, been on the podcast uh, as a guest. He's a director. He's from the West Side of Chicago. He went to Lawrenceville, which I think is in your league, it is, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So he he played ball at Lawrenceville, football, basketball, and uh, 
he always talks about the experiences he had there. He had never been exposed to really white people until he went there. And, you know, he's still friends with some of them to this day. And he just talks about, like, he went skiing. Like, he's just like, can you imagine this kid from K-Town on the west side of Chicago right. going skiing? Right. Like, I've been skiing, like, for an hour of my life. Like, I, I don't even know about skiing. Yeah. So, like, to hear him talk about it is hilarious to me. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. That was definitely there. I mean, you know, you had classmates who would ride up in Maybachs. And, um, you know, going to the Met and you go into the Knicks game, you know, sit in front row. And I'm like, got my feet on the wood and I would never get this through my own, you know, uh, uh, resources. And uh, you just got these, you know, classmates who their parents are the, the, you know, the head jewelers at Harry Winston or, you know, Merrill Lynch and, you know, all these different law firms. You're like, man, this is uh, this is a different world. But it was good. It was good. And I have stayed in touch with some of those guys. And uh, they're great people. Honestly, they, they, they're, they're doing very well, clearly. And, uh, and we had a good time. You went to St. Augustine as well? I did, I did, yeah. That one I never heard of. Yeah, that's a little small, <laughs> small Catholic school in South Jersey near Atlantic City where, I, where we grew up. I did have a question about, I think it was at St. Augustine. You played ball there, mm -hmm. basketball, mm -hmm. with Pops. Yeah. I know about Pops. I remember him. He's, he's a nice, he yeah. can play, man. Yeah, he can ball. Nana Menza Banzu. So who is Big Ben? Benedict Nowachiku. Because I, I see in your Wikipedia, it just says he played with Big Ben, and I'm like, Roethlisberger. <laughs> I'm thinking, um, who's the other? there's another Big Ben. Oh, Ben Wallace. I'm like, right, right, who right, the right. hell's Big Ben? Yeah, Benedict Nowachiku. Yeah, okay. he's, uh, he was also another like um, uh, African-born, I don't know if he's Nigerian British. or Ghanaian, but, he, but he's from, yeah, he's from uh, England. His family grew, grew up in England, and he came over to uh, the prep, St. Augustine, and uh, did well, did well there. Him and Pops, they had like a pipeline of guys yeah, who come yeah. from England. But uh, yeah, those are great guys, man. My, my, I remember one experience with Pops. He was hurt, and I was playing, and we played against our rival school called Holy Spirit High School. Uh, and I came down on a fast break. My boy Anthony Farmer, we call him Woogie. Woogie passed me the ball, and I came down, dunked it as a freshman. Crowd went crazy. Pops like jumped off of the bench, tackled me. I'm like, what? yo. I, and our head coach was like, hey, Pops, like, you're hurt. Like, you got to chill. He's like, no, that's my boy. That's my boy. I'm like, yo. One of those, like, stop the game Stop dunks. the game. It was done. <laughs> it was over. And they were like, he's a freshman. It was great. It was one of, the, one of the best moments, for sure. That's awesome. That's my boy. What was your Pops basketball game like? My game was almost like a typical football player, you know, very athletic. Yeah, yeah. You know, can rebound. Not real refined. Not real refined. You know, I had an open J here and there, but uh, I'll box you out. And I'm, I'm, I was smaller, 6'2". You'll like cover the 6'7 guys yeah, and exactly, stuff. Exactly, because yeah. I can muscle them out the way, you yeah. know. Yeah. And I, was, and I wasn't flopping. I'll be honest. I was not flopping. <laughs> I'm not a flopper. I don't even think we, we had flopping back then. When I played, we didn't flop. It didn't come until the Euro guys came over. Right. And the South American, like Manu and those guys, right. like... Flopping wasn't a thing. Yeah, I agree. I agree. All right, so I have a couple personal questions sure. that, that, that relate to me and a couple of my idiosyncrasies uh -huh. with the brain. Are you familiar with congenital mirror movement disorder? Mirror movement? I'm not, no. I have this thing where if I move my right hand, mm -hmm. my left hand moves. Okay. I can't control it. If I make a fist, this hand clenches. Mm. I can't separate my right from my left. Mm. It's been going, it was really bad when I was a kid. So it's kind of subsided a bit, uh -huh. but I've looked it up, I've read about it, yeah. and it just seems like this like benign condition that doesn't really matter, but yeah, it's yeah. annoying. It's not something that we would certainly operate on. Um, <laughs> yeah, so the things that we operate on, I know really well. Um, have they ever done a scan of your brain? That's the question. I've never had a brain scan. Never had a brain I've, scan. I've had, so I had heart surgery mm -hmm. at Mass General, oh. uh, which you might find a little interesting even though you're not a heart surgeon. Yeah. Um, 
I had uh, cardiac ablation okay. done about 14 years ago. I was on a plane and I started going into cardiac arrest on a plane. Wow. Turned out I had uh, basically a congenital condition and yeah. nobody ever knew anything about it. And it's crazy. Yeah, well, it's a blessing that you're here. And yeah. uh, it's really great. And um, But they did a great job. Yeah, at General, yeah. yeah. thanks to the, the, the hospitalists at MGH yeah. and uh, physicians there. But you know, there's a connection between your left and your right brain through these um, white matter striations called your corpus callosum. And so I'm interested, you know, if it's benign and, and not affecting your daily life, then probably leave it alone. But if you were to get a scan, I'm interested to see what your corpus callosum would look like because that connects your left and right. When we want to separate you know, left and right from people, we would, um, we would make purposeful disconnections between the left and right brain uh, so that you're not, you know, you're not really aware of what's happening on the other side or maybe one side has a lot of, um, you're having seizures and you want to, um, it's called a uh, functional hemispherectomy where basically you're just disconnecting one hemisphere of the brain from the other uh, and you do it surgically and hopefully it would uh, stop the refractory seizures um, and kind of just quiet your body down and your body won't um, really know the other sides of the other. So. I don't know. If you had uh, a scan, it would be interesting to see it. But since it's not affecting anything, I wouldn't push it. I wouldn't it's get the exposure. Like my my girlfriend will, will look at me when I'm, like, reaching in my pocket to, like, grab my keys out. Mm -hmm. And this hand's, like, doing something. Like, mm -hmm. this hand's doing this. And she's like, what are you doing with your hand? Mm -hmm. I don't get embarrassed. So. Good, good. It's all good. My other question is about spinal bifida occulta. Yeah. You familiar with that? Very I mean, you studied so. studied the spinal cord. Absolutely. And, yeah. Okay. So I was born with spinal bifida occulta, which mm. is a pretty benign condition as well. Sure. You know, I noticed that there is back pain involved with it, mm. and I believe it's the malformation of vertebrae in the spine. That's correct. So I probably don't have. They they said if you have multiple, then it can be like a more difficult condition to deal with. Mm -hmm. But if you just have one, then it's kind of like you barely notice it. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, uh, and you know, it happens at birth, as you're aware. It's just you know during the neurodevelopment process, it's not um, your core doesn't fully come come together. There's um, you know, maybe some agenesis of some vertebrae, so it's not fully growing, but. Occulta just means that it's, like I said, it's benign. It's not something that's causing you leg weakness or leg pain or any kind of bowel or bladder issues, which everything would happen if you well, had some actually, it'd be down low. I, like, honestly, I was late with, like, bedwetting as a kid. Oh, is that right? And the doctor's explanation was it probably had something to do with that. Yeah, it could. I mean, yeah, and that's, that's one of the symptoms that you do see. But the fact that you were able to get over that uh, didn't require any surgery, which is a good thing. Right. You know, your spinal cord is supposed to grow all the way down. Uh, it stops around L1, the lumbar vertebrae 1, and then it has this conus, and then it has these kind of um, spaghetti-like strings that come down from it called the cauda equina. And those are all the nerve rootlets that come, and then they all innervate everything down below. Uh, and then a part of innervation is your perineum, is your bowel and bladder function, is your leg function. So people who have true spina bifida, uh, like myeloma angle seals or you know things of that nature uh, kids who don't um, parents who didn't get a lot of prenatal vitamins and folate during during um, child yeah, labor. It, had a, it has a lot to do with folic acid Ab right? absolutely you know they're they have these like sacks that are in their back and uh, some of them grow up with leg weakness and can't walk or you know have consistently have to straight cath because they can't you know um, empty their bladder correctly and that's an surgery that needs to happen within 48 to 72 hours. Uh, and Boston Children's Hospital does it all the time. I was able to be involved in at least one of them. Really? But it's um, it's uh, it's really cool. And I want to go into PED, so I'm very interested in this anyway. So, But yeah, I'm glad you're doing well. I'm glad you're doing well. <laughs> Good. I did have, uh, I didn't have need to have surgery, but I had a buzzer. 
oh. that went in my uh, like my my underwear, mm-hmm. and if it got wet, it would go make a big noise, and everybody would wake up, and the whole house would be like, "Get him to the toilet!" Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, all yeah. right, good. So good, good. Yeah. <laughs> like I said, I don't get embarrassed easy, so it's all good. <laughs> you mentioned the Bahamas. Mm-hmm. Your family's from the Bahamas. You were born in, I, I think it said Houston, yep. but you grew up in Jersey. Mm-hmm. Where in the Bahamas your family from? So we're from Exuma. Uh, wow, yeah. I want to go there. It's amazing. That place looks ridiculous. It is fantastic. You know, astronauts say, I don't know if this is true or not, but we heard that an astronaut said that he saw the waters of Exuma from space. That's how beautiful it is. It's a great place. We obviously have the pigs that yeah, everyone yeah, knows yeah. about. Iguana Island. Uh, it's wonderful. Um, one of my nurses just went there for her honeymoon, and she enjoyed it thoroughly. But yeah, so I was actually, my mother was seven months pregnant with me in the Bahamas. Uh, but wanted me to be a U.S. citizen. So she flew to Houston where she had some friends. I was born there, went back to the Bahamas for about three years, and then we moved to Jersey, and that's where I grew up. Okay. Uh, but I go back to the Bahamas every summer, and uh, my um, grandparents would live there, and uh, everyone else still lived there. We were the only family in the U.S. And so our parents, again, were very diligent and deliberate about making sure that we understood our history, understood who we were, understood the holidays and the important figures from the Bahamas, understood the culture. And so even though we were growing up in Jersey in America around Italian, Pakistani, Jewish people, uh, we still were Bahamian in our house, eating peas and rice, kunk, you know, fried fish, um, you know, uh, uh, peas and rice, snappa, um, you know, uh, drinking goombe. You called the, it snappa, yeah. too. <laughs> <laughs> All of it, man. It was, it I was love great. Kong. Yeah, 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 for sure. So Pause. it was good. Where in Jersey are you from? So a town called Galloway, which is about uh, 15 minutes from Atlantic City. In okay, South Jersey. So South Jersey. Mm-hmm. Now, I was misinformed. I thought you were a Seventh-day Adventist. I know your faith is very important to you. You're Baptist. Correct. Okay. Your Seventh-day Adventist connection is Ben Carson. That's correct. Okay. So Ben Carson, I would think that he has you a bit conflicted because his run for presidency, mm-hmm. he's a black Republican, he's one of your heroes, as far as I know. That's correct. And I, I assume you're not a Republican. That's correct as well. Um, I know your friends <laughs> from what I read yeah. with Bill Clinton. That's correct also. Who's definitely not a Republican. Not at all. So explain that stuff a little bit to me. Is it uh, yeah. put you in a tough spot or is it uh, politics don't really matter? Yeah, so Ben Carson uh, was my hero growing up because um, my older brother, my oldest brother, Marchant, gave me his book, Gifted Hands, to read. He wanted me to have a, a role model that looked like me, but that wasn't throwing a ball or shooting a ball or anything like that. He wanted somebody who was in the political, or sorry, in the academic sphere, uh, who was using their intellect to kind of change the world. And he saw this guy, Dr. Carson, as that for me. When I read his book, I said, wow, there are a lot of parallels in his story to mine. Black man, not a lot of money, family that focused on education, had a bit of a temper, but loved succeeding in the classroom. I saw all that in me. When I was younger, I had a bit of a temper. I got in fights. I had to go to court because I beat up a kid because he called me the N-word. You know, just, I saw, I was like, this is me right now. And so once you connect to a story and a story becomes real to you and tangible, that person becomes that larger than life figure. His picture was on my um, wall in my house growing up. And it was big for me. And so I, I had a chance to meet him uh, at his church. He's a Seventh-day Adventist, as you mentioned. Was it Damascus or something? I, I down think so. in Baltimore? Yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So, uh, so we went to that church. 
Um, and uh, I sat in, in Saturday school with him and with his wife, met them, and just, you know, had a great, great conversation and asked them, you know, a lot of advice. And, you know, he was giving me some very humbling advice about being nice to janitors and lunch ladies, never overlooking them, saying hi to everyone. And just I being, love it. Yeah, it was. I love that stuff. It was great. He, we became close. We golfed together. We, we all prayed together often. Uh, we ate together after that. We developed a great relationship. And in fact, he wrote a letter for a recommendation for my neurosurgery interviews when I was applying to Harvard and Yale and Hopkins and other places. Uh, so we became very close. Now, his political leanings, I, I honestly wish he had not run, uh, not because I didn't think he was a qualified candidate to be president, because you know that, that standard has kind of gone down from what we have now, but um, because you never want to see like your hero get beat up. Politics are dirty, and no matter if you're good or bad, they're going to say something about you. I love Barack Obama, still do. I love Michelle Obama. If Michelle Obama were to ever run, they would try to find something to throw at her. Of course. And it would make me upset because I'm such a huge fan of her. Right. Uh, and so I felt the same way with Ben Carson. Even though our political views aren't the same, I still respect him as a physician, as a man, as a leader, and as a Christian. Uh, and I didn't want to see that kind of beat up that he was receiving at the time. I, I know he's in HUD right now, Housing and Urban Development. And uh, I talked to his wife, and it uh, sounds like they're doing very well, but he's somebody who has he made neurosurgery real for me as a young black man. And I look at his story as something that one day, when I get to a point, I don't know when that would be, God's prayer life, that I can be that, um, that example for someone reading my story and say, you know what, I can do that. And not only neurosurgery, but I also could be a jock to him and ball a little bit. And uh, if because he opened it for me, I feel like I have a responsibility now to try to open it for someone else. I'm not there yet. And maybe some people are inspired by me now. But there'll, there'll come a time where someone reads the story and says, yeah, I think uh, I can do it because my role didn't. So I remember he mentioned something about he was at a crossroads where he, he was getting into trouble and he tried to stab somebody. Mm -hmm. And it hit the belt or something That's and correct. saved the guy's life. Mm -hmm. And he could have gone in two directions. There was a fork in the road and that whatever point he chose to go the right way. Do you feel like you had a fork in the road? And I don't mean necessarily in the same way where you could have ended up, you know, in gangs and streets and all that type of stuff. But I mean, you could have easily just been a jock and played football and pursued what you were great at instead of, you, you kind of took the road that's harder, more difficult, because you, you're naturally an athlete. You're not, it's not easy to just be a surgeon. You know what I mean? I think it was much easier for you to play sports. Yeah. So what was the catalyst to make you kind of go in that direction? Yeah, so, you know, I think it was the sacrifices that I was aware of made by my family, names that I knew and names that I didn't know. You know, we had a lot of people in the Bahamas who we left behind who would have loved to have the opportunity to access the resources and the opportunities in America that we did. And so because we had this great, great chance to be whatever it is we wanted to be, no ceiling on our growth, we felt, and I felt, that it was my duty to exhaust every talent that I had in my body, academically, athletically, spiritually, emotionally, philanthropically, whatever it was that God gave me, and whatever it was that my parents helped nourish and create, my brothers too, that was going to be presented to the world in a way of service, right? That was gonna be, that was gonna be the drive. And so I always remember that, yeah, there were people who died and sacrificed for me to be where I am right now. And I know 
the names of my parents, but I don't know the names of others, but they would not want to see me be complacent with this chance. And I feel like there's a lot of people who go through our generation now and say, you know what, I'm entitled, I'm supposed to get this, this is, this is what's supposed to happen to me. No, you don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve any of these blessings that come our way. You have to continue to work hard for them and continue to use every opportunity uh, to the best of your ability so that it behooves not only you but the people around you because there were other people that would have loved to have this chance. And I'd never, ever forget that. And I think that is the, the catalyst, as you mentioned, to keep me pushing forward. Even in the hardest days, you're like, look, Myron, you have no time to rest, no time to chill because there's, there's going to be a time for you to chill on the other end of this thing, but you're still not there yet. You have goals to reach and you have people to try to inspire and you have service to give and you've been blessed with some opportunities and some abilities and you've been fortunate to have a great family and to be in America to do these sorts of things where other people didn't who may be more talented than you but now you're here you got to make the best of it and so that's kind of what I always remind myself so I see the shirt you have on right now mm -hmm. Oxford yeah <laughs> all right so when did you know that you wanted to be a Rhodes Scholar how did you even know to strive for that like I I knew what it was like I knew about it growing up like you hear a Rhodes Scholar like wow that guy's a Rhodes Scholar but it wasn't something that I felt was attainable yeah when did you realize it was something you wanted to do so when I was at that Hun school in Princeton uh, there was a guy Bill Bradley who went to Princeton of course. I, I was actually gonna make that parallel with you yeah about, yeah yeah he is uh, as he you went know, there he did he went to Princeton uh, and um, oh no no I'm saying he went to the Hun school uh, no he did not go to Hun school oh, okay but but his uh, all of his trophies and displays were all in Princeton so okay. I would just like walk over from my high school to the gym Jadwin gym at Princeton University and I would see like this guy I was like man this guy is like larger than life he's amazing he's the epitome of what a student athlete ought to be right yeah. and so and then I read that he was a Rhodes Scholar and I said what is that and okay. that's when I looked it up and that's what put it in my head so I think it was about junior year of high school okay. when I first started thinking about what a Rhodes Scholar was and because Bill Bradley was it I said I want to be it as well and that's how it came about that's cool so talk about your experience in England. Yeah, it was going good. To Oxford. It was really, really good. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Um, I did medical anthropology, a master's degree. Only did it for a year because I wanted to uh, come back to the states and play in professional football. But uh, I studied med anthro, which is a look at the social and cultural aspects of medicine. Uh, it, it takes people's post-colonial stigmatizations, gender roles, all the other aspects of, of, of the human experience and how that intersects with medicine. That's I like that. That's crazy. Yeah. And so it's like, you know, we would, we would you know, study and go to places like Congo, Rwanda, Burkina Faso, Africa, Sub-Saharan Africa, and figure out and kind of study why these local villagers were trusting the herbalists and the bone setter and the shamans and the local healers rather than the biomedical clinics that were set up by the colonials. And a lot of the answer was trust, right? We don't trust these, you know, foreigners who have come in here and taken our land and, and, and raped our resources and tried to do some quote-unquote good by setting up these hospitals. We would rather go to the people who we have more cultural capital with. And it was phenomenal. And I think for me now as a neurosurgeon, which is very black and white, you have a tumor, we take it out. You have um, a ruptured disc, then we take that out. You know, there's a lot of black and white in neurosurgery, but there's also people who have stories that can add to their healing process. I'm a firm believer that the healing process from time of surgery until time of discharge 
is a mutual thing where the patient has to buy in and be vulnerable to the process and the surgeon and the, and the healer has to listen and respond to the body and to the narrative of that patient and allow them to take part in that process. And when you do, I think those patients do much better. That means physical touch. It means how, what is it like to transfer good energy from one person to another? That just means going on the bed and say, hey, Mr. Jones, you're having surgery today. Why are you rubbing the top of their hand? You know, we're gonna take care of you. And having family around, speaking love into them. If they like music, putting the music on in the room while they're there to allow them to recover. Getting at the whole body, the holistic experience, rather than just, we're gonna put you to sleep, cut in your back, uh, fix the disc, take out the osteophytes, the bony parts, close you back up, PTOT, send you home. You know, it's more than that. That's so important, the, the human side of, of those things. Yeah. Uh, having, you know, bedside manner, really. Absolutely. It's teaching you how to have bedside manner. No question. You mentioned Rwanda and the Congo. Mm -hmm. Is that when you made the trips with Clinton? Yes, yes. So, so that was when you were at Oxford? That was that was part of the Oxford experience, too. But then uh, we also went again, too. Uh, so it was great. Yeah, President Clinton had a group called the Clinton Global Initiative, um, which was a group of about 20, uh, I'd say about 20 of us, um, ages 23, which is my age, at, to 40. So young leaders who we brought together. And we had gone over there to really talk about sexual violence uh, women were being raped uh, at staggering numbers because some of the men were looking at it as an act of valor, an act of power. If you can take this woman and do, especially if she was young and a virgin, you can do this, you're now a man, quote unquote, you can pound your chest, which is the most abhorrent thing you could think of, uh, but it was a part of the uh, the culture, unfortunately, in that eastern part of Congo. Female circumcision, that stuff. Correct, all of that. And so we went and petitioned the government about harsher laws um, on uh, these men who commit these crimes. We went and visited a uh, women for women shelter uh, that was in Congo. We talked to the doctor at the hospital, the gynecologist who was taking care of um, these women, and we helped the International Rescue Committee and the United Nations build a well closer to the village where women would have to go fetch the water. Before they would go fetch the water and they have to go through bush and the men would wait there and, and rape them, but we just built it closer and didn't happen anymore. Save some lives. Save some lives. Which seemed like a very like logical thing that right. other, someone else should have done before, but you come there and you're oh. Well, it's the men who build the wells. No question. So They know what they're doing. Right. <laughs> exactly. And so it was a wonderful experience. Uh, I was there with Jeff Gordon, a race car driver, Ashley Judd, um, just some amazing, amazing people. Obviously, President Clinton was phenomenal. I've been good friends with him since I won the Rose Scholarship. He wrote me a letter congratulating me and inviting me to his public library in Arkansas. I spoke there. He liked it, and he said, okay, you're the real deal. So he invited me to speak with him in um, Austin, Texas. Then he invited me to a think tank in Aspen with him, and then we went to Congo together, and then we went to New York together. Uh, and I just talked to him, you know, maybe about um, a couple months ago. So, wow. uh, yeah, so it's been, it's been a phenomenal ride with someone uh, of that kind of power and that kind of intellect. It's amazing. Uh, have you met the Obamas? Uh, I've not. I've just shook President Obama's hand, but I haven't met him personally. Okay. Yeah. I'm sure it'll happen. <laughs> I hope, man. I hope. Huge fan. Backtracking a little bit, you chose your Rhodes Scholarship over the NFL, pretty much. Um, you still had an NFL career, but you would have obviously gone higher in the draft. I mean, it's a, it's a decision that was, I remember at the time, it was being talked about so much, and people thinking you were crazy and it's like I think it's a no-brainer yeah. like look how many people get drafted and look how many people get road scholarships look how many people have that opportunity yeah. it's minuscule you know sure so 
Talk about that decision for you. I mean, for you, it was a no-brainer? Yeah, it became a no-brainer. But at first, it was very difficult. You know, when you play football your whole life, and it's a part of everything you do, meaning what you eat, who you hang around with, uh, what time you go to sleep, what you wear, you know, everything you do is driven by your sport. And then when you're saying, you know what, I'm going to push that to the side for a little bit to pursue my education and to get this master's degree, this advanced degree at this great school, it uh, it was tough. It was it was difficult, especially when there's money dangling in front of your face, and especially when you go to Florida State University rather than Harvard, Dartmouth, Princeton, Brown, where you would have gone and been an incredible student, but you wouldn't have had the same probably you opportunities. You were at a football factory. No question. The reason I chose FSU, right? You know, DBU, you can put players into the league. Terrell Buckley, Deion Sanders, my cousin Samari Roll. Like, just all of them went there and balled out Leroy Butler. Yep. Um, and so that was my that was my thing, Antonio Cromartie. Um, and so when the opportunity presented itself, uh, I said, uh, yeah, let me go and do Oxford. Again, that decision was made not just on me, right? I made the decision because I thought if other people saw this and said he's saying no to this great opportunity to go to the NFL and pursue his education, he's showing that knowledge is power, it's more lasting and enduring, and it's something that you can't pass up. Uh, and I've heard from young people who have written to me, from older individuals who have found this story inspiring and, and, and said they're proud of me for that decision. Uh, they've drawn from it and used it to uh, help their young students who are going and facing similar situations. Do I go and pursue athletics or do I go the academic route? Uh, and so it was great. It was great. The road less traveled. The road less traveled. Man. No question. Pun intended all the way through. So going back a little bit again... Coming out of high school, you're the number one recruit in the country. You're a All-American in every publication. How do you end up at Florida State, from Jersey to Florida State? Yeah, I, I really enjoyed my visit to Florida State. I felt it was the one school that holistically looked at me and said, we can make you better in all the different facets of your person. Every school, I think I could have went and balled out on the field. Uh, there's no doubt. I was looking at Oklahoma and Florida, Michigan, Georgia, Texas, Penn State, very you know, top-level schools. What about Miami? Uh, I looked at the U, too. I looked I at mean, the U. I you know you got family there. I know Antrell. Sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, I like, went to the U. I don't know if you know that. Oh, no, I didn't know yeah, that. Yeah. Okay, all right, all right, yeah. So I was looking at the U as well. You know, Trell had did his, did his thing. They had, I think they had Kenny Phillips and Brandon Merriweather right there uh, the same time I was coming through. Yep. But nevertheless, it was definitely my top five. I visited them quite often. Okay. And, and, uh, and yeah. I'm and, sure you got family down there. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> Besides in the, in the, the Grove. Yeah. Trail in the, in the sure, Grove. For sure. First Bahamian settlers. No question. Yep. We built Miami. You know what I'm saying? But yep. I built Miami. Let's yep. go, baby. But now, nah, let me get back And then back the Colombians' it. drug money built the rest. <laughs> <but>. <laughs> that's true. That's true. So, um, but yeah, so I, I, I thought Florida State could, um, you know, help me do well in the field. They brought a guy named Garrett Johnson, who was a track star, who won a Rhodes Scholarship. They put him in front of me and said, hey, this is a guy you can be like. So they actually... Like an older guy. An He's older like, guy. Oh, yeah. He was graduated, but he was around Tallahassee. And uh, he became kind of my big brother on campus. Uh, even though he was, you know, graduated, he was still there. Sure. And my mother was like, oh, yeah, that's it. You know, because you always hang on to someone who... Black guy, All-American track athlete, Rhodes Scholar, was a, a aide for Governor Jeb Bush. And oh, he was a black guy, too? Black guy, too. And did humanitarian work in Haiti. Oh, your parents loved him. Oh, loved him. <laughs> Garrett Johnson... I, I, people don't know this story, but Garrett Johnson was 
probably 85% of the reason why I chose Florida State because wow. of what he represented and he was the real life tangible example of what I could be. And that's, that's why you've heard me say it over and over in this podcast, like examples, examples. If people see it and feel it and believe it and can be connected to it, then they will achieve it. Because I've done it myself, Ben Carson, Garrett Johnson. And if they see that through me, then boom, their goals are going to be realized too. So through that, Garrett, I was like, let's go. And, uh, and so the pathway was set. Uh, to go to Florida State, step in right away. I graduated from Hunt early, got in for spring ball, and then you know the rest is history. Had a great time there. And you felt like FSU was challenging enough academically? Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. I, I pushed myself, and I was always in the advanced classes. I think it has to do with it, you can make things easy at a lot of 100%. schools. I mean, there's some schools you can't. Yeah. But, like, now, yeah, Myron is a neurosurgeon, and he went Rhodes Scholar, Oxford, Harvard, the whole deal. But I did a little research. And his GPA was 3.75 at FSU. Sure. I had a 3.8 at Miami. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. I mean, you know. And, hey, I'm no brain surgeon. Yeah. yeah. Well, just had to put that out there. I appreciate that, man. I appreciate it. That's okay. That's all right. That's all right. I hope you'll still let me operate on you, though. I just hope you'll Oh, let... my God. I'm going to okay. need it someday. All right. Thank you. Appreciate that. <laughs> you had a chance to be a first-round pick. Yeah. You chose to be a Rhodes Scholar. Teams question your desire to play, so it affected your draft status. Yeah. Am I missing anything? No, that's about it. I mean, that's right. I mean, even when I got to the league. You never a, really got a fair shake. Yeah. As a six-round pick, they were still wanting to, they being, you know, personnel, coaches, um, still wanted to talk to me more about my relationship with President Clinton or the brain and neurosurgery or medical anthropology, what Oxford was like versus cover two and um, blitzes in the A-gap and things like that. So I knew from, from the start that it was going to be difficult. I would have to have five interceptions every game so that I was unmovable from the team mm -hmm. for them to keep me because they just saw me as um, someone who was not going to take it seriously, who was going to leave, not really committed to it. Uh, I remember one person, though, telling me that I, I was doing better than most of the people in our segment group, in our position group. However... There's another guy uh, who needs this, and you're going to be president one day, and you're okay. You yeah. really don't need this, yeah. so we're not worried about you. So we're going to probably go with him because yeah. he's got no other option. Yeah. And I felt like you're taking away this opportunity from me because I you know, tried to expand myself and expand my options. And you've been told every day of your life to do well in school, do well in school, and now it kind of backfires on you. That was a point where I said, you know what, let me stop hurting my hands. No more concussions. Let me read about the MCAT, take it, go to med school, and start this pathway for medicine. You just answered a couple of my questions, and that's a great segue into your concussion research. Mm -hmm. You've done a lot with that, and I'm sure that's something you're going to do a lot more with. Yeah. Um, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, concussions are um, obviously a hot topic now. Uh, when you have the spectrum of brain injury, concussions are probably on the most benign side of things versus, you know, diffuse cerebral edema and you know hypoxic injury and you know brain bleed subdural subarach whatever the case may be intracranial hemorrhage but concussions are real because they manifest themselves in so many different ways that we're just kind of getting a hold of now we used to just look at it all in one category concussions got your bell rung you right. see stars and that's it but people react differently to or people have different primary symptoms of concussions whether it be depression or um, cognitive issues or photophobia or whatever the case may be. And so I think more research is going into, I know we're doing it at MGH, categorizing and, tar and having targeted therapy at the molecular and cellular level 
for brain injuries, especially concussions, based on primary symptoms. And I think if you know that, uh, then that's very helpful. I think it's also helpful to remember about the return to play and allowing the physicians and the clinicians to make sure these players don't have repetitive concussions within a 12, six to 12 day period. Because as we all know, if you do have another one, the risk of getting another one, even from a less traumatic blow, goes up exponentially. And so there's, there's, there's a lot of work that needs to be done. I think neurosurgery, we're not the sole um, proprietor of this information. I feel like it's a multidisciplinary approach. Physicists, neurologists, uh, social psychologists, you know, talking about the manhood aspects of not wanting to report that you have concussion symptoms, even if they're subacute or even if they're minimal. Uh, you, should also, you still should say it, even when you're in a room full of testosterone and a bunch of men and you don't want to feel like you're weak uh, because it's an injury that you can't see, like a broken arm or you know, torn ACL. And so there's a lot of people going into this topic, uh, a lot of thoughts going into this topic, and a lot of people being involved. And uh, we're just on the cusp of it. I think it's, I, I think it's going to come to a head soon where you see some significant changes uh, at, the, at the Pop Warner Junior levels uh, which I hope will permeate forward because will permeate upwards because right now I think the NFL is sort of just doing patchwork band-aid work over some of the issues and just trying to keep this monstrosity of an entity alive because it's making a lot of money for a lot of people uh, but not really trying to get at the root cause of what's happening and how do we help these players. How can you have a doctor that works for the team that has the best interest of the player? No, they don't have the best interest of the player. They have the best interest of the organization. No question. No so. Question. That one until that gets fixed, yeah, you can't you can't do anything. I've had my share fair share of concussions. I've dealt with depression. I definitely, I want to know: is it going to be possible to to see CTE in a brain in a living human mm. anytime in our lifetime? Is that something that people are close to? I, I think so. I think so. I think there is going to be well, the radiologists right now working on doing some imaging modalities that will let us know real-time live when people are alive if there are some extra protein buildup in the brain from repetitive concussive episodes. But my thing with you is that I'm not completely sold that CTE is directly related to concussion. I think it may, some people may be predisposed to having it, but I'm not sure if it's every single time. Almost as if, you, if you're a smoker for your whole life, you're going to have issues in your lungs, right? Sure. You're going to have black lungs. You're going to have decreased lung capacity. We know that there's a direct link to that. I'm not exactly sure there's a direct link to this. I think it's, I think it puts you at higher risk for sure. And I think some people are just generally predisposed to it because there have been people who have committed suicide, played football their whole life, had their brain studied, haven't had any CTE, no tau protein buildup, nothing like that. I don't really read any studies about that. You don't hear about that, yeah. right? Because the hot thing is, let's make this link between mm -hmm. CTE and concussion. So. Uh, so there are, you know, there are some, you know, kind of uh, disagreements on that. But nevertheless, we still have issues that we still need to solve, right? And whether it's CTE, which is kind of farther down the line, it's like you see this buildup, but what do you do about it? Versus how do we stop it from even getting to that point? Or how do we stop these symptoms from happening so people don't have a major effects of their daily so life? So let me try to understand what you're saying. Would you say it's like breaking it down, cholesterol, mm. if you're genetically predisposed to have cholesterol problems and you eat bad, you're going to have high cholesterol. That's correct. If you eat good and you're genetically predisposed to have bad cholesterol, you still might have bad cholesterol. No question. CTE, same idea. No question. Same okay. idea. Okay. Absolutely. Interesting. I'm fascinated by dreams and memories. 
uh, I've read that memories from childhood are a lot of like, they're a combination of stories you've been told, pictures you've seen, dreams you've had, and they're not even like real memories. I don't know how much research or studying you did about memories. I haven't done much on memories, but I know the structural the structures that are important for memories in the mesial temporal lobe, like kind of the, you obviously you know a bunch of lobes in the brain and, and you the middle part uh, and kind of close to the center uh, mm-hmm. holds the amygdala and the hippocampus, which a lot of these memories are stored. Um, and, you know, sights, sounds, scents, yeah, uh, yeah. all these Sense things. are huge. Yeah, no question. Can trigger some of these, like I said, compilation mm-hmm. of, of, of stories uh, that kind of play back in your mind's eye, uh, almost, almost like a movie. Uh, in a way so I just feel like a lot of people's memories aren't real memories yeah. like they're not based on what actually happened it's yeah. like your mom told you remember when you were a little kid blah 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 and then you develop it in your brain for so long right. and then by the time you're 40 you you tell these stories about oh I remember when I was a kid and you don't remember when you don't remember right. that absolutely, absolutely. You know? and even in traumatic events that's why you know eyewitness um, testimony is sometimes can be flawed because some people think they see certain things yeah. and try to recount, recount it but in a way they're like okay I'm taking what I've seen in like dramas and like TV shows versus what I did see or what I, what I thought I may have seen and so um, yeah no the, the mind the mind is funny it's the greatest computer that no one can ever build that God did for us it's a beautiful thing for sure <laughs> and the last one is about dreams do you think dreams are really manifestations of uh, like our fears or desires or secrets like I, I don't know like I know you're you're more into like fixing brains, mm-hmm. but like I don't know in your studies. I mean, you went to school for seven or eight years for this stuff. <laughs> Do you guys like delve into like dream research or anything like that? We did not. We did not really dive into. I know dream it doesn't research. save lives. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> this no. is the stuff I'm interested <laughs> in. Though. No, yeah, you need you need you need a neurologist, man. You, yeah. you have a lot of great questions that um, <laughs> that that fall into the. Uh, the, the, the very um, basic science, scientific neurology uh, aspects of neuroscience. But um, no, we, did, we didn't dive too much into that. And we don't see a lot of our patients who have those complaints that end up having some sort of um, uh, structural issue that we can do something about surgically, so to speak. So yeah, uh, yeah I'm sorry to leave you short on that. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, uh, talk to me about aneurysms, man. Or, or, you know, <laughs> talk to me about brain tumors. I got it. See, I can only talk about this stuff like with in detail about the stuff I've dealt with. Yeah, I see. And that's dreams and memories. <laughs> no brain issues. No brain issues. Well, that's, well, that's, you know, that's a good thing, actually. I know, I know. I've had my heart issues. I don't need brain issues. Yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure. All right, so we've reached the keeping it a hundo section. I'm keep it one hundo. The only thing you got to do is you got to keep it a hundo. Keep it a hundo. Yep. Let's do it. Who you got one-on-one? Jesus Christ versus Jesus Shuttlesworth. Jesus Christ. Wow, most people take Shuttlesworth. You'd be Christ, surprised. Day, JC, baby. Steel cage match. Ben Carson versus Bobby Bowden. Whew. I'm going. I'm going. I'm going Ben. I'm Couple going ben. tigers. I'm going Ben. I'm going Ben. I'm going Ben. <laughs> ben from Detroit. Ben. Ben. Ben can ride. I'm going Ben. In basketball, you got Dr. J. Uh-huh. In football, there's Myron Roll. Uh-huh. Do you know any other pro athletes that have become doctors? I'm not sure what Dr. J's a doctor of, but let's just make that clear. <laughs> of dunking, probably. Yeah. I'm not sure. I, I don't. I don't I don't think I know any other pro athletes that became no. physicians. While we're at it, do you know any other black surgeons or neurosurgeons? I do, yes. There's a guy named Keith Black. Dr. Keith Black, he's the head of neurosurgery at uh, Cedars-Sinai oh, really? in Los Angeles. Wow. Great, great, great uh, physician and uh, a contemporary of Dr. Carson. Okay. Uh, I went to Michigan. Mm-hmm. Top five rappers. 
Okay. Dead or alive. Dead or alive. Top yeah. five. So I have to go in order? No. Just just top any five. order. Okay. Uh, three thousand. Yes. Um, he's in there. That's Andre three stacks for anybody. Who's oh yeah, yeah. Confused. Sorry. Yeah, for sure. Uh, so three thousand. Let's go. We gotta go. Uh, Tupac. Let's get Pac in there. Gotta go. Gotta go big. Because uh, he's got a story to tell, and I got a story to tell as well. Yep. Um, that's for sure. Quoting him. <laughs> After that, I like I like the conscious rappers, man. So, so this is gonna be one that people are like really he's up there. But my top, my top five is gonna be Most Def. I got got Most Def on there. Because, he's made a couple lists. Yeah, I, I I appreciate Most Def. And then fifth one, you know what? Because he's had so many hits, and he is, um, and, and he was. During my college years, like I think I know it. One after the other after the other. Who do you, who do you think I'm gonna say? Drizzy. No, oh, I'm not okay. going Drizzy. I'm going Tip, man. Oh, uh, okay. I'm going TIP. Yeah, man. you're a little older than uh, the Drizzy years. Yeah, okay. yeah, I'm a little older than Drizzy years. I, I, I Tip, man. Tip used to come a hit after hit, man, and okay. and I, I think he was strong. I think he was strong. I like Tip. I'm going I don't tip. have a problem with your list. Yeah, I have no problem with it. Best pizza in Boston? Have you even got a chance to try no. any of them? Regina's is that one? It's a really good one. That's yeah. a really good one. Yeah, okay. It's like a top three. That's the only one I've had. Okay. And, uh, everyone tells me it's great. Hey, and you, it's, it's you've good. been to the one down on Thatcher, like North End. Yeah, 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 exactly. Okay. Yep, yep, yeah. Good yeah. spot. Yeah. Just going there since I was a kid. As a doctor, how do you feel about hand sanitizer? I'm a germaphobe. Germaphobe. All the time. Yeah. All the time. In and out the room while I'm in the room. Yeah. No question. How do you feel about like outside of hospitals though? People who use it. Like if I'm if I'm gonna have lunch somewhere and I don't have a bathroom to go wash my hands at, if I wash my hands with hand sanitizer and then eat a sandwich. I think it's fine. Uh, is it helping? Is it hurting? No, I, I think it's okay. I think if you have um, actual dirt on your hands, right. you can actually see it. That then you should soap and water. Right. You should use for sure. But if not, if you're just cleaning your hands, and hand sanitizer is okay. I use it when I'm in the airport all the time too. So if I, I see it in the airport, you know, I just go pull it and go I'm for it. I'm scared to death in airplanes and airports. Like yeah. I know I'm getting sick. Like yeah. I, uh, yeah. <laughs> have you ever met anybody that's had you starstruck? Whoa. I know you've met like some crazy people, so yeah, you get used to it. But <laughs> I think uh, when I first met President Clinton. I was a bit starstruck. And I think I started talking to him about the weather. And he was like, really? You got me one-on-one right now? You want to talk to me about the he weather? He said that? No, no, no. In oh, his face. Okay, okay. In his face, he had it. And I was so disappointed. Like, that's the first I know thing what I you said. wanted to talk to him about. What was that? Ladies. <laughs> nah, I know. No, nah, I'll keep that away. I'll keep that away. <laughs> hey, he's, but, he's a world-class stick man. He, hey, look, man. But I'll tell you what. He is, he is so personable uh, and charismatic that everybody who was around, they just felt like... They knew him, and he felt like he knew them. It was. It's you a, really felt like that because I hear that all the time. No question. In interviews from no people. No question. And I, I heard he the same thing. He has this presence about him. Yeah. He's tall, right? He's like a little taller than you. Yeah, he is. He is. And he looks you right in the face, and he gets close to you, and 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 I think that proximity gives people the feel of comfort. Like, okay, yeah, this guy is he like pulls you in a little. Yeah, bit pulls you in a little bit, grabs your hand, and and talks to you, and he will know something about you too. You yeah, know? You yeah. Think he did his research. He did his research. Yeah. And so you're like, wow, he knows one fact, and you're like, wow, this guy knows me. Like that game you had against Miami. Oh, that game against Where Mickey Andrews said it was the best game he's ever seen. That was that was big. That yeah. was big, man. That was the Can't best game I ever played. Did us like that. <laughs> yeah, man. I say it's all about the U, but that game it was all about FSU. I read this uh, BET.com article. Uh-huh. Girlfriend's Man Crush Monday. It was uh-huh. about you. Yeah. Right. <laughs> How many women have proposed to you? Proposed to me? Yeah. Because uh, I mean, you're like the most eligible bachelor on the planet. <laughs> well, at least for a little while. Yeah. 
there have been, I think I've gotten maybe four proposals. From people you knew, like girls you dated? or uh, These are non, yeah, people I don't know. Okay. But I've gotten two requests to be fathers of mm-hmm. people's children. Mm-hmm. Not through the normal coitus, but like just... Hey, like real requests. Can request, you donate? Though. Yes, real requests. Like literally, can you donate to this bank? And I would like to have your genes as my child. I thought it was A, creepy, but then I was like, I'm a little flattered. Yeah, um, because how can you not be? Because they think I have good characters, you know? But uh, yeah, anyway, that was, that was I, I turned that down quickly. <laughs> so sticking with that same theme, have you ever been asked to be The Bachelor on the TV show? Never asked to be The Bachelor, no. I don't, have they ever had a black bachelor? Of course not. The show, <laughs> the ratings would go through the roof. <laughs> that would be unbelievable. They had a black bachelorette last year. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. okay. How'd that go? How was that? Everyone loved it. I oh, think sweet. it did really well. I, I started watching it a couple of years ago. My mom's big into it, oh, is that so right? like she got me onto it. So yeah. now like we, that's like one of the things we talk about a lot. Oh, nice, nice, and, nice. Uh, but I, I, I think it's below you. Oh, well, I really. That's my opinion. He okay. didn't say that. I said that. <laughs> it's. I watch it for the comedy. Yeah, yeah. It is straight comedy. <laughs> Have you ever met anybody who's been on a stamp? I have not. No, because typically people are. Um, dead it's posthumous you yeah. get the stamp so uh no i have not i have it's my first time i <laughs> yes, believe sir. yes sir this man is on a stamp in the bahamas <laughs> i don't know if it's like it happened and it's done or it's like currently no, on it's there. currently there yeah you that get, is you unbelievable oh thanks wow <laughs> how many cities have given you a key to the city uh let's see uh sarasota florida lafayette louisiana <coughs> and i think that's it and i got a day um, in Palm Beach and in a day in Galloway Township, New Jersey, where I, where I grew up. That, like, that <laughs> stuff is is insane. Yeah, yeah. You kind of alluded to something earlier, but as an adult, maybe this might be a better question. Have you ever been in trouble? Disciplinary as, trouble? Dis, no, not as an adult, no. Just when I was younger. And, uh, that never been a, arrested? Never been arrested. That was the last time that I had gotten in trouble um, when I was a child, yeah. Who did you look up to growing up? Uh, I know... Off the field, it was Ben Carson, mm-hmm. your family. Mm-hmm. Um, I know your parents had a huge huge influence on you. Were there any athletes you looked up to? Yeah, or? Prime. Definitely Prime yeah. was huge for me. Uh, and then Samari, too. You know, being my older cousin uh, and seeing him ball, you know, it was great to watch him play. And uh, just had the pride of uh, having his last name and, and, and we share in our Bahamian blood. And uh, But Prime, for sure, because he was flashy, but then he also got it done. And he was well-spoken, and he was a Christian. It was like, yeah, it was great. I, I liked it. What's your interactions been like with Dion? I'm sure you've met him a yeah, few Yeah, oh, times. yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. Uh, and, he, you know, he says he's, he's proud of me, and he looks up to me. And I'm like, you look up to me. I said, no, nah, man, you're, you are the standard. Uh, and so, yeah, it's been great. I remember when I met him, I saw him, not met him, I saw him at the, um, uh, at the airport. Uh, I think I was going through Dallas. And uh, this was when I was going through the NFL time of, not, uh, you know, getting these um, bad uh, reports that I was not going to be serious about football and all these things we had mentioned earlier in this talk. Uh, and he, he stopped me and said, Myron, you know, I don't know if it's going to be football because it could be football. But whenever people are cornered back into uh, or backed into a corner, you don't know how they're going to respond. And so right now they're backing you into a corner. And whether it's football that fights you out of this thing or something else that changes the world, you're going to do it and you're going to do it very well. And I was like, hmm. And I remember that. And right now, it's not football, but hopefully I'm changing the world or changing someone's life, hopefully, in the operating room and as a neurosurgeon. So I remember that. And I was literally, and he probably doesn't even remember saying that to me, but he said that to me, you know, in the airport, and uh, it was great to hear that from somebody he looked up to. That's dope. Truth, as he would say. Truth. Okay. <laughs> Pride. The man. 
You're from New Jersey. Mm-hmm. Favorite person on the Jersey Shore? I know you've seen it. I have, I have, I have. Probably the situation, because, <laughs> you know, he's just so extra. So, yeah, I'll go with him. I don't know if you've seen they have, like, a new season out. I have not seen it, no. His, his new thing is he's addicted to food, because he's, like, uh, he went into rehab. He doesn't do drugs, doesn't drink. Okay. He's, like, uh, he's a food addict. He eats, like, six entrees when they go to dinner. Really? Yeah, he doesn't is take he, his shirt off. No, there's... There's a situation here. <laughs> He's not like this. He's just like this. Okay. And he doesn't have the situation anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, my god. It's gosh. hilarious. That shit kills me. For real. But that's sure. how, the those that's like the people I grew up with, right? This direction we're looking at right here. Right. You go north a little bit. Yeah. Jersey Shore. That's it? That's what we got. That's where I grew up. <laughs> that's crazy, man. Yeah. We had Jersey Shore, Jersey Licious, Mob Wives, Real Housewives of New oh, Jersey. yeah, yeah, yeah. And Sopranos. At one point... New Jersey had all these reality shows. I'm like, people just like making fun of Jersey or something yep. or putting us on TV because it's, it's a lot, man. Yep. <laughs> and we had Boardwalk Empire, which was based at Atlantic City. I love you know? Boardwalk and I loved Sopranos. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, me too. Me too. Do you have time to watch TV? That was actually my next question. Do you have any TV shows that you like yeah. record or stream or whatever Definitely. that you watch regularly? Game of Thrones. Yep. Uh, and Coming then, back soon. Yes. I'm excited about that. And then my political show that I watch for my news is uh, Rachel Maddow. MSNBC. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, she's a Rhodes Scholar, too. Uh, really? she's, she's great, so I watch her all the time. Have you been on it? I've not been on her show, no. Man, somebody got to send her a letter. I know. I never met her before. I would love to, too. Yeah. Maddie Hundo, get it, get it done. Get it done. I'm on it. <laughs> I'm on it. What do these people have in common? Mm-hmm. Lil Duval, Lenny Kravitz, Al Roca. Yep, yep. You there yet? <laughs> oh, no question. Kimbo Slice. 242, baby. Eric Gordon. 242. I'm assuming the 242 is, is the Bahamian no question. area code. No question. No question. Tia and Tamir. All day. Clay Thompson and his dad, Michael. Keep going. Buddy Sydney Heels. Poitier. Sydney Poitier. Rick Fox. W.E.B. DeBose. Oh, yeah. Rick, Rick Fox. Fox. Come on. Come Rick on. Fox's little brother. Nobody knows about him. He played in my league in high school. Really? Because Rick was playing for the Celtics. Uh, and he brought his little brother to live uh, in Boston. Yeah, yeah. And he played in our league. His name was Aaron Fox. He had like a messed up leg from like a, they said it was a go-kart accident when he was a kid, mm. I think in the Bahamas. Oh. And he like, it was like, like this big bow. Oh, and their wow. other leg was fine. Yeah. But he could jump through the roof. <laughs> he, he put 50 on us. Wow. And we beat them by 30. Oh my gosh. Like that type of, he, he was on this like real rich like team, uh, like, like, a, like this little town. You yeah. Know, Marblehead. He played for Marblehead. Okay, okay. And, uh, yeah, that we, I remember Rick would be at the games with, like, D. Brown and, like, these oh, people. nice. Damn. <laughs> yeah, Bahamian people. Yeah, all day, all day, man. You know, 242 to the world, baby, you know. We had a number one draft pick in the NBA this year, DeAndre That's Aiden. right, that's right. He's Bahamian, so. Uh, Freeport. That's right, that's right. So we're, you know, we're a small country, 350,000, but um, we hold it down. We do it I got to go to Exuma. I've been to Freeport. I've never been to Nassau. I've never been to Exuma. You got to go to Exuma. It's so close to Miami. It's almost like I just like, oh, I want to go somewhere like yes. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and I always go somewhere else. I mean, I, I hear you, but there's so many different family islands that uh, that you would just love. Eleuthera, Abaco is really rich. Yeah. Bimini is really close to Miami, as you yeah. know. You can see the Miami lights from Bimini. Day um, trips out yeah. there people take all the time. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah, try it out, man. What do you want for Christmas? Um, seriously. Seriously, what yeah. I want for Christmas? I can't say uh, time to sleep. I can't say that. <laughs> nah, that, that sounds like a real one. I just I just don't want, like, world peace or something. Oh, yeah, Everybody yeah. wants that. Yeah, you yeah. Know what I mean? No, yes, time to sleep. What do you want? What does Myron Roll want? That would be good. I, You know, and I want uh, I want my brother. I have a, I have a brother, McKinley. Um, he's uh, one year older than me. 
he is coach. He coached college football at Garden um, City Community College. Uh, they went to Long the, Island. Uh, no, no, in Kansas actually. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. My, my, I think they played. Uh, my girlfriend's cousin plays junior college football out there, uh-huh. and he played. I think he played Garden City this yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So he, they, he's a coach out there. Yeah, he's a coach out there. Um, but uh, but the head coach had taken another job somewhere. So right now he's kind of in the midst of looking at other college positions. And so you know, my, my Christmas gift would be for him to land somewhere and to get on. He's got a couple options out there. He's such a great dude. He was a the linebacker coach, but the head coach went and took a job at I think Missouri Southern, a D two school. Okay. Uh, and uh, and so my brother's kind of just waiting to see options out there but I just hope he lands somewhere great because he deserves it man hard worker how old is he uh, he is 34 okay he went over to Oxford with me when I was there he was my personal trainer he lived with me in Nashville when I got drafted by Titans we're best friends our parents used to dress us up alike like twins he's the closest in age closest too. in age yeah so it's like three I have four brothers the three that are up they're really high at 47 45 44 and then 30, 32 and 34 we're like the two that are down but uh, very close man and so my Christmas wish would be that he, uh, he gets on somewhere Okay. That's my man. What's a typical roll family Christmas meal consist of? Peas and rice, potato salad, turkey stuffing, um, and then uh, probably some guava duff, which is our, our dessert, and then uh, whatever kind of drink. What is, what is duff? I know what guava is. What's duff? So duff is like the sauce. It's like, um, it's, how can I put it best? You've had a Cinnabon? Yeah. So like the white stuff that's on the Cinnabon, the kind of creamy sauce, it's sweet like that. So that's, okay. that's kind of what it is. Is it a pastry? Uh, yeah, it's a pastry. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's oh, so duff. it's kind of like a pastelito. Like the Cuban pastry? Uh, it has guava and cheese, that. and it's a pastry. There's no cheese in it, though. No right? cheese in it. No okay. cheese. I haven't had it, but... That's a yeah. big Cuban thing. Yeah. You sounded like you are from Cuba with that, man. That Miami. accent, boy. I see you. Okay. All right. It's that Miami. All right. Last one. Uh, death row meal. It's your last mm. meal on earth. Uh, sausage, egg, and cheese, Texas melt, sandwich, uh, and hash browns all from, from Waffle House. Waffle House? Waffle House. You're doing Waffle House? I'm doing Waffle House. Last that meal. That is a death row meal. <laughs> That is a serious death row, man. house, baby, all wow. day. <laughs> That's funny, man. Yeah. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas as well, Thanks brother. for doing this. Absolutely. Thank you. Nothing like a conversation with someone like Myron Roll to knock you off your high horse. Talk about setting the bar high. Damn, I feel lazy. I have a few podcast projects I'm working on, doing some day trading, you know, studying the stock market. I got my Hundo Health and Fitness stuff going on, training people. This is a perfect example of why you shouldn't compare yourself to others. Compare yourself to yourself. Because in 32 years, he's accomplished more than most people will ever accomplish in a lifetime. There's so much we didn't talk about. There's so much to him as a person, not only the accomplishments and the accolades he's achieved in his life. Believe me, he's a very busy man. We've been trying for months to coordinate a time that worked for both of us. He squeezed me in over the the weekend before Christmas when he was headed to the Boston Pops for the first time. So this is a very well-rounded young man. I hope everybody had a great Christmas. And a happy new year. I hope you enjoyed your guava duff. And whatever else you consume to celebrate the holidays. I know I enjoyed my mom's baked stuff shells. And my dad's porchetta. And calamari. It really was a great Christmas. I got to bring my girlfriend up to Boston for the first time. To spend the holidays. 
she'd been to Boston, but it was her first time spending the holidays with us. So that was cool. Lastly, I want to touch on something that pertains to Myron. Something we didn't get to discuss on the podcast is Myron always talks about the 2%. And it's basically just giving that extra 2% to make your yourself a better person or a better professional at what you do. Better brother, better father, a better son, a better mother. So as we look forward to 2019, I know I have a lot of... Uh, aspirations and some new year's resolutions my challenge for you is to tell me what your new year's resolutions are uh what's that extra two percent what what can you do or what are you trying to achieve or attain to make yourself two percent better in 2019 comment under the keep it in a hundo podcast in the apple podcast comment section Leave your comments, leave your New Year's resolutions, leave your 2%. I'll read them next podcast. So thanks for listening to Keeping It a Hundo. Until next time, I'm Matty Hundo. Have a great 2019. Uh, check it out. Check it out. This here goes out. To all the mad and other cribs. Think it's sweet. Creep up on your <laughs> live expected. Check it. I kick flows for you. Kick down doors for you. Even left all my mother for you. This thing Frankie whip. The picture that with the Kodak. It's the Matac. We don't get down like that. Lay my game down quite flat. Sweetness, where you park that. Petiteness, but that fat. She got a body make wanna eat that. With you, the official though, dick harder than the missile. Yo, try to hit it if she tripping, disappearing like a senio. Yo, the push a double O with the five in front, probably a canary stunt. Y'all drive in front, I'm appeal with her, find a deal with her. She around steal, huh? Then we all get laced. Televisions, Versace heaven. When I'm up in them, the she kick all the shit's legit. She get from a player off the New York Knicks. Trick with your lust, was plush. She stressing me to f- like she was in the rush. In his bed, quite dangerous. I'm in his while he play against the Utah Jazz. My 112 CD blast. I was passed. She came twice, I came last. Roller. She giggled, saying I'm smoking on homegrown. Then I heard a moan. Honey, I'm home. Yup. Talk chrome for situations like this. I'm up in his broad, I know he don't like this. Now I'm like, you better talk to him before the fifth put a spark to him. Around. Get dark to him, put a part through him, lose a major part to him. Arm, leg, she begging me to stop, but this cat getting closer, getting hot like a toaster, a cop's toast, uh. Before my eyes could blink, she screams out, honey, bring me up something to drink. He go back downstairs, more time to think. My brain racing, she's telling me to stay patient. She don't know I'm cool as a fan, hand. I don't wanna blast her man, but I can and I will though. I'm trying to chill though, even though situation looking kinda ill, yo. It came to me like a song I wrote. Told him, give me a scarf, pillowcase, and rope. Got dressed quick, tied the scarf around my face, broke the up, gagged the mouth with the pillowcase, played the